Welcome to Unboxed, where we dive into what it means to live engaged. Life is fun, messy, and sometimes challenging. Come grow, learn, and chat with us. We're your hosts, Sarah and Haley. We're so excited to be introducing on the podcast today a new series on parenting and how to help your children thrive. Haley got the opportunity to sit down with Adriana Stanley, an amazing counselor, educator, and consultant. With over 25 years of experience, Adriana has administered programs in churches, K-12 schools, higher education, military, and mental health settings. Adriana is an NCC and a licensed professional counselor and supervisor in Georgia, with degrees from Baylor University and Boston University. She was born in Havana, Cuba, soon after the island came under communist rule. With her family, she came to the U.S. in the early 60s. She grew up in the U.S., but has also lived in Central and South America and in Germany. She currently lives in Marietta, Georgia, with her husband, Matthew. They have two married daughters and one grandson. Adriana enjoys reading, hiking, and traveling. We hope you enjoy. When you're thinking about health concerns, children, um, what have you seen in terms of trends and what are parents most concerned about right now? Well, one of the places I go to um, is I look at national polls. Mm -hmm. And um, the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital does a national poll every few years. And the 2016 poll um, talks about uh, parents' concerns. And the top concern for among all adults is bullying. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids being bullied at school or uh, in churches and in different settings, sports. Mm -hmm. Um, The second concern is is interesting because it doesn't have to do with with mental health. It has to do with obesity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, drug abuse. Mm -hmm. Internet safety is slowly creeping up. It's at number four, but 49% of parents have concerns about the safety of their kids uh, Mm -hmm. online and doing electronic activity. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, Stress uh, always stays in the list. It's usually about 45 to 50 percent of parents. Um, parents worry about abuse and neglect. Uh, sexting is a new one that is just kind of trending upwards. Uh, school violence, and then uh, suicide and depression. So those are the top things, and and they're not. Uh, equally distributed among different groups. Um, for example, um, the, the study parsed it out between um, black adults, Hispanic adults, and white adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting that um, the things that they are worried about kind of volley for place. Mm-hmm. So, for example, bullying is number one among black and Hispanic adults for their children, Mm -hmm. while obesity is number one for for white parents. Um, But then you uh, look at the the second thing that that is important to them, and uh, black adults look at racial inequality. Um, Hispanic adults look at obesity, and then uh, white adults are talking about bullying. Mm -hmm. Uh, Drug abuse is either the third or the fourth thing for all three sets, and internet safety is either the fourth or the fifth thing all three sets. So you can see how parents um, are mirroring each other mm. in the things that they are looking at that are dangerous for their kids. Mm. Those are very interesting and it seems like even though that bullying may not be the top for um, 
in the white community that it is also a concern. So it seems very interesting that they are mirroring across the board there. They're all very close. I think, you know, parents today um, just find themselves in, in situations where um, the things that their kids are facing and the speed at which their kids are facing, um, things can be very scary and daunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I think that um, everybody shares similar concerns. Mm-hmm. What would you say to some parents in those different types of communities and what would you say to them if they're coming with these concerns about their children? Um, one of the things that that I think is, is important is to have parents engage. Um, one of the reasons that I, that I started doing uh, the, the research and, and the work uh, in the Parenting Promises was uh, because oftentimes parents would come to me with, with um, not just actual tangible problems, but with anxiety about what's going to happen to their kids. And so um, the best antidote is for them to engage, to engage with their children. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, culture and society right now um, almost puts parents um, a step away from their kids mm-hmm. and keeps them um, or, or wants them to be kind of an automatic pilot or default mode parenting, uh, where the school mandates certain things, um, you know, p- uh, parents can't pack certain things in kids' lunches, and um, I read an article in uh, on NPR, um, and they were talking about um, how a young lady had been suffering from depression, and the entire article highlighted how the teachers missed it, the principal missed it, the school social worker missed it, the school counselor missed it, all her teachers missed it, but not one mention of the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, that we put parents uh, kind of to the side. And um, what I tell parents is to, to engage, not to, not to be on default, not to allow uh, society or other groups to, to put them in that place, but to engage with their kids and to uh, parent purposefully. Mm-hmm. How would you, just for some of our listeners, when they're hearing, hey, as parents, we want you to engage, we want you to lean in, like, how do you define that? Is that kind of embedded within our parenting promises, or? Yeah, that's, um, the reason I wrote them is uh, because I was, I was seeing parents who were trying to navigate parenting without a compass. And so um, the, the promises, it's my hope, kind of set a, um, uh, a skeleton on which to hang some of the behaviors that are good parenting behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, leaning in, engaging, um, looks like um, a lot of the things that we know in psychology, mm-hmm. uh, like attunement mm-hmm. and um, providing for needs and providing comfort and being a safe, solid base. Always, mm-hmm. you know, facing um, the things that our kids that our kids are experiencing. Um, with a sense of confidence and strength mm-hmm. uh, and calmness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, the goal is to, to look at some of those kind of bigger arching principles in the mm-hmm. promises and then to apply them in very specific ways um, mm-hmm. in actually talking and um, behaving with your children. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, and we'll get into what those kind of look like, a little bit later, but it sounds like these are very practical steps for 
the mom who's a single mom who has four kids and they're running around and it's like, what do I do in all of this chaos? Mm -hmm. How do I help them? Or the, the home of the dad's working a lot and the mom's taking care of vice versa. These are very practical things to embed into everyday life. That's, that's my hope. Mm -hmm. um, being a mom or a dad is a difficult thing. It's tiring and trying, and, and I mean, it's sometimes just a test of our will, sometimes a test of our strength and, and energy. Mm. But it's also a very rewarding thing, uh, something that brings us a lot of joy. Mm. Um, it's soul satisfying, if you will. Mm. Um, and I think that um, we can look to uh, God's Word to mm. give us some, some principles that guide that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and he commands some things, but he also um, just gives us examples. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't live in uh, uh, Old Testament times, but you can read passages in Exodus and Deuteronomy that talk about talking to your children and uh, creating a narrative for them, creating a, uh, a schema from which they can understand the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the base. And then um, we have very specific things, mm -hmm. uh, like um, how to set an example, how to um, create a narrative for their birth mm -hmm. um, that is truthful, mm -hmm. but that um, also lets them know that they are loved and cared for and wanted, mm -hmm. um, and that they have responsibilities as part of this family group. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, we create skeleton upon which to hang. A little bit more of kind of how you've kind of developed these promises and, and kind of your journey into all of this. Um, well, part of it uh, comes from my work with children and families. Mm -hmm. um, I've been a, a therapist for, you know, close to 30 years. Um, I hate to say that, it makes me sound old, um, but I have, and uh, a lot of my work has been with children and families. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, that I, you know, I see a lot is just the anxiety and, mm -hmm. and the frustration. Mm -hmm. You know, why is this kid doing this and, and how can I make it stop? Mm -hmm. uh, but also sometimes just, just fear of what are they gonna face mm -hmm. in, in school and, and um, outside. So, um, I started doing, and, and because I'm, I'm a counselor, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of studying, uh, and I've you know, looked at psychology and developmental uh, psychology and uh, just different areas, but mm -hmm. for this particular um, project in, in writing the Parenting Promises, um, I chose not to look at any parenting books, uh, but to do uh, several word searches, mm -hmm. um, biblical word searches. I looked at Greek and Hebrew uh, words for children, uh, child, discipline, Mm -hmm. uh, parent um, and look to see how God uh, instructed adults to interact with children mm. or with uh, individuals that they were discipling because I think that's what parenting is. Mm. Uh, it is actually uh, discipling. Mm. You know, we want to create little individuals that love God with all their heart, mind, strength and everything and that they love other people in that same fashion. Um, you know, and, and we don't just want them to be rule-following uh, good citizens. Mm -hmm. We want more for them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, as I was looking at that, I was trying to find out what, what does God say about that? What, is, what does He want from us as parents? Um, and so, um, I began to come up with uh, kind of overarching um, themes in the biblical narrative. 
um, that um, are pretty consonant with um, ideas that and, and truth that we find also in um, in psychology or in education uh, in counseling. Mm. So I tried to to look and see does God word does you know does it say that mm. um, and and where does it say that and if it doesn't what does it say? Mm. Um, so that was the process mm-hmm. of kind of exploring and, and asking God to show me. Mm. That sounds like a, an exciting but an intense process. It was lots of fun. Yeah. Um, it, it took a long time, especially when I was doing the, the Greek and Hebrew mm-hmm. uh, study, uh, because even though I, I studied Greek and Hebrew in college, it has been a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, that was that was daunting, but it was, it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I wanted to create a, a biblical parenting worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, then to help parents apply those in practical ways mm-hmm. uh, with uh, both uh, children who are adopted as, as well as biological children. I think that um, a lot of times adoptive parents have special questions mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they do actually face uh, more daunting uh, parenting situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I think that the, the biblical parenting mandate is the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's the same for biological children, adoptive children, and also even our children in foster care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be parents. It just needs mm-hmm. to be uh, whoever that grown-up is that is uh, helping that child uh, develop and uh, hopefully grow into an adult that loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. So this would be good for, for mamas, for dads, for aunts, for just the whole gambit, for youth leaders all across the board of saying, how can we, how can we champion this little human in front of me that um, is adorable and awesome, and then sometimes I have no idea what to do with this little human. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think that, that anybody, and, and pretty much it means everybody, uh, who has contact with children um, can um, can get something from from thinking about the promises uh, because uh, the goal is to to use them as a springboard uh, to then think about the words that you're using think about uh, the discipline interventions that you're gonna use for a child um, think about the examples you set uh, look at opportunities to help them see God and see God working and um, begin to uh, disciple them to know and to look at the world and relationships and their place in um, both academics and and work and home life Mm -hmm. uh, from a biblical perspective. Mm -hmm. For some of our parents or whoever's listening to this, that if, you know, a biblical perspective is something new for them, how would you describe um, disciple? Like, what does that word, kind of, when we're hearing that word, what does that mean? Well, I really like the word disciple because I do not like the word discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, I think discipline carries with it some pretty negative connotations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm uh, of the opinion that, that if we can discipline um in a way that is always teaching, that is what it means to disciple. Mm-hmm. So every disciplinary uh, 
interaction we have with a child, the question that, that I ask and I, I suggest to parents to ask is, what does this child need right now? Sometimes the child needs to be removed from the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the child needs to be rescued to, to a safe location or to be removed that way as well. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes we may have, um, you know, I, I see lots of kids out and we have a parent with a child who is um, very unhappy and expressing uh, his or her unhappiness loudly. Mm -hmm. um, and um, a lot of times, you know, we're, I see that, you know, at the grocery store. And I know as parents and as having been a mom of two little girls, sometimes we just got to get the groceries done. Mm -hmm. uh, but if at all possible, um, sometimes we need to consider what the kids' day has been like um, and consider what they need. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, um, they may need to be paid attention to. Um, they may need to be removed from the store. Um, and so the question is, what does my child need? And sometimes, not always, but sometimes that trumps, what do I need? So if a child is, is behaving badly or taking toys away from uh, a sibling, you know, it would, why do we think they're doing that? We want to ask ourselves, we want to think of, you know, what does he need that, that he is or, or she's grabbing or taking things away? And it might be that they, they may need attention. They may need a different toy. They may need to be um, given something else to do. Um, and I think that we assume sometimes they're just trying to be bad. They're just trying to um, to cause uh, problems. They're being mean to their sibling. Well, yes, sometimes they are, but why is that happening? So um, I think that it's important um, before we decide how we're going to respond to think of what they need. Mm. So it sounds like it's pulling back the layer and saying, I see what's going on here. I want to see what's going on underneath all of this. What is the need behind all of all what I'm seeing here? Mm -hmm. And then versus sometimes that need of we have to get the groceries done because right. they need to eat sometimes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we have to balance it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that um, if we're aware of our kids' needs and we can um, kind of uh, forecast what's going to happen. We can kind of plan around that. And it creates a much more pleasant experience for us, but also for them. Uh, and we're really good at doing that when they're little. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk to parents of, of uh, babies that come into uh, Bloom at church and, you know, man, they, they've got the schedule down, they're, you know, they know, oh, going to get cranky about 1130 because, you know, they eat. Okay. So we know that. But sometimes we forget that our kids still have the same kind of needs mm -hmm. um, even when they're five mm -hmm. and so we've been in the car all day everybody's cranky uh, we give a lot of slack maybe to a two-year-old who's doing that but the five-year-old who's behaving in the same fashion uh, we don't consider that and so um, yes a five-year-old is expected to do more and um, different than what a two-year-old is expected to do but I think there's still limits, and, and I think we still need to consider what does that child need. Um, 
you know, an example with a teenager would be you tell the teenager um, the time you need to be in is two o'clock and three o'clock rolls around and they, you know, come in. And so you may not be in the room. And so you see them in the kitchen and say, hey, what time did you get in? And they lie to you. But you knew they came in at three. Um, they don't need to be given an opportunity to lie. What they need is for somebody to confront them gently but firmly. Last night, I know you came in or, you know, um, this afternoon or whatever the time is. I know you came in at three. You were supposed to be in at two. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you address specifically what the need is. They need to know that you know that they broke the, the rule or the promise or the, the curfew, whatever it was, uh, rather than giving them another opportunity to, to lie. Mm. So in that example, it sounds like instead of testing them, are they going to lie to me right here? What they need to know is that they, it was not okay for them to come in at three because exactly. that wasn't what y'all had agreed on. Well, and that is what the parent wants, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the ultimate goal of asking them, what time did you come in? Mm -hmm. Really, adding the possibility for lying doesn't help. Mm. You know, what, what we really want is for our adolescent or whoever to be in at the time we want them to be in because we think that's a safe time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, and they need to know that, mm. right? And that's, that's the bottom line mm -hmm. um, is, you know, I used to tell my girls, nothing good happens after 10. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, be home by 10. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. But I wouldn't, you know, when I knew that they were coming in and it was 10.45, I wouldn't ask them, so, you know, what time did you get in last night? No, I would probably greet them at the door and say, hey, you know, what happened? It's 10.45, you know that, you know, we have a county curfew and what happened? Mm -hmm. And tell them that, you know, my concern is for their safety, not just... To, to play a game of trying to figure out who's the best detective and because mm. um, I think they need to know that mm. and that's providing kind of a safe base a somebody who is calm and stronger and wiser and um, it's gonna take care of them mm. even when they're adolescents mm. which kind of brings us back to that idea of what a disciple is that it's you said it was discipline that was leading us to love to learn to right? learn and, and to love God mm -hmm. um, and I think that you know the example for the adolescent um, putting them in a place to um, give them the opportunity to lie doesn't teach them um, anything valuable or really what the goal is mm -hmm. um, it just exacerbates um, the situation mm -hmm. and research has found that that kids um, even young children um, will lie rather than disappoint their parents mm -hmm. um, disappointing and having parental disapproval um, is a stronger motivation to lie than um, getting away with something mm. so um, I just suggest don't don't offer that opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can express care and concern mm -hmm. um, without um, giving them the opportunity to lie. Mm -hmm. Because the statistics are showing us that most likely they don't want to disappoint right. the parents, so they're going to lie. They're going to say something, oh, the car broke down, or, um, 
you know, some some story, right? And it's the same thing with, with little kids, you know. You know that they ate the cookies. You don't ask them, hmm, who ate those cookies? <laughs> right? I mean, you can do it playfully, but... Sure. but uh, usually you don't, you know, you know. Um, they always come up with the yeah. dog. It was the right. dog over the there. The dog or my oh. sister mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody, I don't know, they disappeared. Mom, mm-hmm. a monster came and, um, you know, and, and so we give them that opportunity, right? And um, I think that, that even with little kids will do that. Um, you know, who broke the vase? Ooh, you know, nobody. Mm-hmm. My um, imaginary friend. Yes. They just visited today. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead saying, you know, I know you were playing in the living room mm-hmm. uh, and, I, you know, you were throwing the ball and I think you broke the vase. Is that what happened? And giving them opportunity to, to come clean, mm-hmm. um, you know, and having consequences. But um, but the consequences also, you know, need to match mm-hmm. the, the infraction. Mm-hmm. And I've got all sorts of uh, ideas about that mm-hmm. that we can talk about. Yeah. Uh, as well. That's awesome. So coming back to these promises, um, you've kind of set us up of what these look like. Um, can you kind of tell us more about what these promises do kind of start off? Is there a certain number of them? What, what, what are these promises? Well, I initially um, didn't have a number set in mind. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of whatever comes to mind, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to write them down. Um, and I have I have tweaked them a little bit so that they sound um, um, they're uh, grammatically correct and, and, and sound right. But um, but I came up with ten mm-hmm. uh, promises that are um, both uh, developmentally appropriate. So they're they're promises. The first promise I think people need to hear very early in life, and then it needs to be repeated throughout life. Mm-hmm. The second promise. Um, a little later in development mm-hmm. and, and so forth and so on mm-hmm. uh, but all of them are things that our children need to hear um, well before um, high school mm-hmm. um, and um, things that they need to have repeated even into adulthood mm-hmm. um, one of my daughters studied genetics in, in college and um, so I have green eyes my husband has green eyes our oldest daughter has blue eyes and my youngest daughter has brown eyes. And the probability of having brown eyes is, is almost almost nothing. So she came home from college and um, I had always told her that, you know, that, that I loved her and I, I was glad she was born, that she belongs in our family. Um, and she does, I mean, she was planned um, and she knows the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but she came home and said, well, I, I must have been adopted because I have brown eyes. <laughs> Here's my evidence. My genetics class has told me that I have brown eyes. She had genetic evidence. So, you know, one of the things, and she was kind of kidding, mm-hmm. but um, but one of the things that um, that helped her know that, you know, that was probably not true uh, was uh, the, the, the parenting narrative, the promises that, that we had spoken into her and, and helped her create understanding and meaning um, in her life. So... Um, they're they're those kinds of things um, so the first promise is, is kind of the foundational promise and and it is the promise um, that we say to our uh, our newborn or our newly adopted kid or the kid that we're fostering um, I love you and I'm glad you were born um, sometimes 
uh, parents and, and it's funny because I have um, in counseling I've encountered adults who have this experience of uh, being told that they were not wanted uh, being told that they were an accident mm. being told that well your mom almost aborted you but mm. um, or your father wanted me to abort you um, and having those stories and, and starting out their understanding of, of their being as someone who is unwanted. Mm. Um, it sounds painful. It's very painful. Um, and even sometimes when we don't think about it. Uh, you know, oh, she was more, oops, baby. Mm. Um, not painful and um, not a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it is important to even uh, express to our oops babies uh, that we love them and we are glad they were born. Um, and that begins to create a narrative of uh, being cared for, um, belonging, knowing that they're important, um, that they were wanted, uh, even for you know adoptive children. Um, I love you and I'm glad you were born. Um, it may have not been the best situation when you were born in wherever you were, right? But we know that God made you and we are happy for that. We are mm. glad and, and we're thankful and, and we love you just the way you are. Mm. Is this kind of setting a good base for attachment? Is that kind of... That is um, that is exactly what that that does. It, it helps us to be attuned to our, to our child mm -hmm. uh, but also helps them to begin to know that and, and to expect that mm -hmm. um, and so um, they um, they can trust and rely on that and have comfort mm -hmm. and feel safe mm -hmm. um, and so that would be um, kind of the foundational piece of I love you and I'm glad you were born you were planned you were expected um, and if you, you were not necessarily planned um, once we found out we were happy Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were excited. Um, begin to read or, or create the narrative of how they were made for this family. Mm. You'd mentioned some of the clients who are adults that were never told those stories. Or I'm thinking about maybe some of the foster children who, who are 16, 17, and they have been through foster home after foster home or in group homes, and that's not the message and the narrative that they've been given mm -hmm. or that they're currently getting. Um, what What do we do with those kind of places? What, what would you say for the adult that I was, I, you know, the mom that's hearing this and say, I was never told that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I needed to tell my child that. Mm -hmm. What would you say to? Well, two things. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing is I think God tells us that. Um, and uh, the first promise uh, came out of, um, I believe, uh, Psalm 139, um, and the confidence that, um, that God intricately knows us and uh, created us. Uh, and so that confidence, uh, if, when we don't hear those words from an adult or from a parent, um, I think we can go there as, as grown-ups. And, and even as, as kids, right, we can direct them there, but, uh, but they need to hear it from a grown-up, from somebody tangible with skin on. Um, but those of us who didn't get it uh, can go to God's Word and see that that is, in fact, 
a promise that God makes to us is that he loves us and he is glad we were born. His works are marvelous. Uh, he wove us together in our mother's womb uh, in, in a dark place that nobody could see. He put, was putting the parts together. Um, and so that and, and, and meditating on that mm -hmm. and uh, spending time thinking about what that means. Um, you know, we, we know a lot about um, development uh, in the womb. Right now we have amazing ways of taking pictures and, mm -hmm. and, and looking at things, but we still don't know how it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, we still don't know all of the details of you know what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so that mystery, um, I think, is something that, that we, can, um, we can enjoy and have joy in mm -hmm. uh, for ourselves. So if we didn't get it from our parents, um, God's telling us that mm. um, but for the the foster child um, I think that that letting them know and, and telling saying it with words I used to tell my girls you know say it with words um, and and I think parents also we need to say it with words mm. uh, so you know sometimes it can be simply in a in a moment of um, tenderness or you know letting them go to sleep or whatever saying you know I love you and I'm really glad you were born mm -hmm. and looking at them in the face and, and making that connection mm -hmm. um, if um, um, if they feel sad or if they're having a hard time it's a message that can be communicated not with I love you and I'm glad you were born but uh, you know with other words you can say um, you know I'm, I'm really glad that you're a part of this family um, uh, you know, they may be frustrated about something that they can or can't do. You know, I'm, I'm really glad that, that God made you just the way he made you. And to, to continue to, to bring home that message. Um, and, and showing them by the way you care for them. Uh, meeting their needs. Uh, providing comfort and safety. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, sometimes parents will do is, you know, well, don't cry, you know, be a big boy. Uh, or, you know, oh, you look so ugly when you cry. Um, instead of saying that, saying, you know, you must be really hurting or you must be really sad. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to care about you, right? I'm mm -hmm. going to sit with you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a hug. I'm going to provide uh, a place where you can feel safe. Mm -hmm. And continuing to say those things in our, in our words, but also with our actions and the way we treat them. Mm. Whereas if we said don't cry, be a big boy, we're invalidating their emotional experience in that moment. Right. And then the trajectory of that, we grow up to adults who say, I don't cry about things. Mm -hmm. And that just creates mm -hmm. long-term problems. So mm -hmm. it sounds like invalidating and saying things with words of, you know, I love you and I'm glad that you're born, that we are just really creating this beautiful foundation for them to grow mm -hmm. and to live out healthy relationships right. long-term. Right. We're helping them create a construct of what the world is like, mm -hmm. their place in the world, and what relationships are like. Mm -hmm. So relationships with parents are safe. You can find comfort. You will be secure. Uh, your needs will be met. You will um, find containment and ways of understanding and expressing your emotions. Mm -hmm. And you'll also be given freedom to always to, to go explore but come back mm. and that that base will be there mm. um, 
so if, if you learn that as, as a starting as a baby um, you become a more resilient individual mm-hmm. um, you become a better citizen mm-hmm. uh, you learn how to have kind of an internal sense of what you'd like to do what you don't want to do uh, what's right what's wrong what's good what's bad for you mm-hmm. um, you develop values um, and you uh, become somebody who can truly love God and other people out of your own desire uh, as opposed to because somebody's telling me to do it mm-hmm. or I will behave nicely in front of grown-ups because I'll get in trouble mm-hmm. we want them to behave nicely when grown-ups aren't around <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so we want to help create that that substrate in their mind. We will be right back after a short sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Beacon Counseling. They exist to journey with people to live life fully and deeply. Learn more at beaconmhscounseling.com. So one of the coolest things that I discovered when I was doing the research and and going through the the Hebrew and, and Greek lexicon um, I came upon Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen, and um, briefly it just says, "Water reflects water; human heart reflects another." And um, some of the best uh, folks that have looked at that um, think that it implies that that our our hearts um, kind of resonate, you know, and have connection with other people's hearts. Mm-hmm. What's so cool is that neuroscience um, research has. Um, and it's been a, it's been a bit. It's cool to me though. Have have found these neurons in our brains that are called mirror neurons, and mirror neurons are neurons that um, we find are a way that we've been hardwired to perceive what another human being is feeling or doing. Hmm. So um, there there's evidence that um, these neurons resonate with other people's neuronal activity. Mm-hmm. So if you see me take a glass of water and take a, a sip, your brain's neurons that do that activity, the brains that guide the hand, uh, the neurons that guide the hand to touch the glass, to pick up the glass, to put it to your mouth, to swallow, mm-hmm. to taste the water, uh, in your head are going off mm-hmm. because you resonate with mm-hmm. what that experience right you've had that experience you you know what it is but our brains also resonate with other people's feelings especially the feelings of the people closest to us our neurons respond to the actions that we observe in others and to the feelings that we observe in others so when we see somebody crying if they're especially if it's somebody close to us our neurons that are involved in our own crying mm-hmm. become activated mm-hmm. and so that's one of the things that that makes um, promise number one so important mm-hmm. uh, because we are uh, creating that connection maybe the very first connection uh, letting them know that we love them mm-hmm. and that we're glad that they were born mm-hmm. and so that creates for them that neural pathway and we know in learning that the more um, a pathway is uh, used and repeated and uh, exercised, the stronger it gets, mm-hmm. the more likely it will be 
the same pathway will be used in the future. Mm -hmm. So we're actually changing our child's brain structure. Mm. Like the ones that wire together, fire together. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Um, So that's really cool because uh, we have the ability to do that. So, which is an amazing thing that you just said. You said that we are changing our children's brain structure mm-hmm. by telling them that we love and care for them and we're glad that they're born. And we're showing them that in our behaviors. Um, and that's, that's the key. And I've, and I've talked a little bit about what that looks like um, with, um, with telling a child that, that you love them and you're glad that they were born. Um, but I'll give you an example. Um, when I was a little kid, uh, my, uh, my mom and my dad would hold my hand so tightly that it would hurt. Mm. And they'd make me walk between them and they would hold my hand and I would get smushed between them. And I remember that, um, that I didn't like that. Mm. And so I created an idea that I was never going to do that to my kids. And so instead of holding my firstborn's hand tightly, I barely held it and we were crossing the street one day and she looked up at me and she goes mommy either hold my hand or don't hold my hand but don't be (laughs) wishy-washy and in that it was a behavior it was holding her hand Mm. but what I was communicating to her was maybe I'll hold your hand (laughs) maybe I won't hold your hand Mm. Maybe I'll be protective, but you know, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't feeling protected. Mm-hmm. And so basically she told me, you know, either do it or don't do it. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're not gonna do this wishy-washy thing. We're creating mixed uh, messages yes, here. Yes, And so, you know, I realized, oh wait, if, if part of my message is, you know, I love you and I'm glad you were born, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna provide a safe base, I'm going to uh, be um, the, the containment for your emotions and all of that, and I'm doing this, that doesn't reflect that. Mm-hmm. And so I changed my behavior. Mm-hmm. And I held her hand more firmly, mm-hmm. right? Because that communicated those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's I think it's funny because mm-hmm. you know she had to point it out to me mm-hmm. um, with wishy washy. With wishy washy. Yeah, that's an incredible yes. Yes. word there. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but I changed my behavior mm-hmm. and made uh, how I held my daughter's hand mm-hmm. be um, match my words. Mm-hmm. So you, it sounds like in altering your behavior, because it sounds like you're like, I don't want my little girl to feel smushed like I felt smushed. Right. And so with good intentions, but it was creating these messages that were not the messages that you actually wanted exactly. to give her. Exactly. And so that's why, you know, I mentioned uh, before that um, that we want to think of what does the child need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does the child need in this situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I could have said, oh, I'm holding your hand just fine. Well, you know. But I didn't. Uh, that was one of my more aware moments. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, here, let me hold your hand. And, and I held it more firmly mm-hmm. uh, to match. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's an example mm-hmm. of, you know, just the behavior. Uh, but the stories we tell them, um, you know, we don't have to embellish. We don't have to create crazy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to tell them, you know, this is how you came into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not recommend um, that we um, that we lie, but I would also not recommend that we tell them things like, well, we didn't really want another baby, 
Uh, but, you know, gee whiz, mm. you know, I mean, that could be expressed maybe in a way of, um, even though we weren't expecting to have to have more kids, God gave us you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, um, we didn't know we could do this again. And wow, we, we mm-hmm. were able to have another one. And it mm-hmm. was you, you know, and so the way we, we uh, phrase it, the way we present it can make all of the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so framing it like this was an amazing surprise. Yes. Instead of, oh, man, it was terrible, we hated it, but we had you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And creating that that base narrative for them. Mm. Um, And that's that's what the first promise is about, Mm -hmm. is is creating a story of of being loved and wanted, Mm. um, and then everything else flows from that. That seems very powerful. It is, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'll tell you another another story. Um, I was uh, counseling an individual who um, I'll tell you another story. I was counseling an individual who um, um, her mother told her that um, she and her father weren't married when when she was conceived, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, initially asked her to abort her. Mm. Um, and uh, she said she wouldn't and uh, decided to have her um, and even though her mother decided to have her and said she wouldn't uh, she married this guy um, and um, the daughter knew that this is a person who is her father who um, at the very beginning didn't want her mm-hmm. and she carried that mm-hmm. uh, that narrative that self story mm-hmm. Um, throughout her life mm. um, and just struggled with with some self-doubt with mm-hmm. you know well if, if my tangible skin on dad didn't want me you know how could God want me mm-hmm. right why did mom marry this guy who didn't want me <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and just lots of questions mm-hmm. um, and she struggled with with anxiety um, some some depression mainly anxiety mm-hmm. um, but um, that narrative could have been very different. Mm. Um, uh, the mother didn't didn't know how to do that, and uh, it was sad, and it's okay. Uh, but I think that that that's that's the cautionary tale mm. is to think of um, what we're telling our kids mm-hmm. about how they came into being, mm-hmm. um, and even if it wasn't um, in the best of circumstances, mm-hmm. um, we don't have to give them all of the nitty gritty details. We can just say, you know what, God gave you to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, you were you were born, and when I looked at your face, I knew that you were, you know, um, somebody that I was going to love for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that helps children um, to create that firm base, that secure place where they know there's comfort, there's goodness, uh, there's care, there's protection, mm-hmm. and from that they can move on. Mm-hmm. That base seems just essential from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And kind of what you've talked about today of the cautionary tale or hearing about some of the adults that didn't hear that, it sounds like there's also hope for the parents or the child that that grew up and said, I didn't get that, mm-hmm. or the parents that's hearing this and saying, I have not been doing that. I have been a little wishy-washy here. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like what I'm hearing is that there is hope. There's tons of hope. Um, it, we can always change. 
um, and even if, if we never got it, um, I think that, that the promises are, are not, you know, happy statements that we can tell ourselves. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I went to scripture, because um, I believe that there are things that God tells us as well. And so as parents, we just are basically repeating what God tells us mm -hmm. uh, for our kids. And, and because it's for our kids, it's also for us. Mm -hmm. um, so we can rest um, peacefully, uh, knowing that um, when God looks at us, um, he is uh, saying to us, I love you and I'm glad you were born. Mm -hmm. um, and he also um, says some of the other things. Um, and, and proves it uh, by how he has provided for us and how he has uh, created uh, relationships to be healthy. Um, and um, so I think that, that even if, uh, if we're a parent and we ourselves never got that message, they are messages that, that we can um, incorporate into our own narrative by looking at what God says to us. Yeah. Sounds like the stories that we tell ourselves are always editable and stories that we can change. Yes. Yes. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the goals is to, um, of, of the promises is to look at uh, what God is saying and to um, not rewrite history in a, in a make-believe way. Mm-hmm but to uh, reinterpret some things from God's word, from his perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and that is always helpful and always leads to, uh, to peace mm -hmm. and to um, healthier relationships yeah. um, and healthier um, just the way you live. Yeah. Which I think is an amazing goal. I think that that's our trend. People want to be more healthier. Parents want their children to be healthy. They want their teenagers to be healthy. They want, I mean, what a trend. This podcast was produced before the wake of COVID-19. We will continue to have conversations with Adriana about the parenting promises in season one of Unboxed. We will continue to have parenting topics other topics so keep listening stay tuned grab a friend grab a coffee or tea or maybe a donut keep living unboxed